Thank you very much. Before I provide an update... Last week, President Trump held a press conference at the White House. He prepared comments on a broad array of topics, the sanctions against Iran, the protests happening around the country, and the coronavirus. I want to thank you all for being here, and we'll take some uh, questions. The president may have been surprised by the first question he was asked. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. It was really eerie to finally see it happen after people have been begging for it for years. Ali Brayland, a reporter for Mother Jones, was watching the press conference. This is something that for a long time a lot of us were actually really resistant to because we knew that it would elevate the conspiracy theory and give it a lot of oxygen at a time prior to, to what it is now, where I think it's fairly safe to say that it's, it's mainstream. When Ali says us here, he means reporters who cover disinformation, fringe groups, and conspiracy theories, including the increasingly popular group QAnon. Over the years, Ali has watched QAnon grow from some weird posts on one forum into a worldwide phenomenon. He says when he interviews people who believe in Q, they often make the same request. They would say, just ask the president about Q, ask, ask him about it, like see what happens. The motivation behind the request is twofold. One, to draw attention to the movement, give it a bigger platform. The other, a challenge. Put the conspiracy in front of the president and see if he denies it. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. QAnon may have begun as a laughable conspiracy theory, but with people like former Trump National Security Advisor General Michael Flynn signaling his support and Q believers winning political races, terrorism experts don't find it funny anymore. Today on the show, how QAnon moved from the fringes of the Internet to the White House press room. I'm Celeste Headley filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I'm going to try to give an explanation of what QAnon is, um, and then I want you to correct me. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. Please do. (laughs) Okay. So QAnon at heart, even though it seems like if you get two QAnon supporters in the same room, they're like economists, you'll get two different descriptions of what 
the beliefs are. <laughs> but at heart, this is about a cabal, a deep state conspiracy of child trafficking and pedophilia hidden in tunnels. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Um, like you said, there's like a bunch of nuance and disagreement even within that. I've talked to QAnon believers who don't even believe that, which seemingly is a core tenet of it. But then I've talked to some who that's only the tip of the iceberg and they believe all sorts of bizarre things that go way beyond that. How often do you talk to a QAnon supporter and find that they have very different views from, say, the, the QAnon forums online? They're really easy to find at Trump rallies. And so I went to a couple to report out a story that I was doing on like what in real life QAnon supporters actually believe. And yeah, there was there was a contingent of people who believed it to a T and they were explaining to me like these extreme theories that like even I who spend a lot of time in these spaces just like I hadn't heard of before. But then there were other guys who were wearing full QAnon shirts who had like signs and then you go up and talk to them and they would just be like, I don't I don't know about these pedophile rings and, and underground tunnels, but I do know that Trump is a good guy and that he's, he's stopping corruption. So back in March, you recorded this explainer video and you ended by saying that Q is becoming both a mainstay and also fading from relevance. Months later, do you still see it that way? No, no, I don't. Um, that was a really interesting period in QAnon. It looked like it was in stasis. Twitter mentions for it were down. Its main platform, 8chan, had been taken down. But I think that pretty much as soon as the coronavirus lockdown started, it came back in full force. If you look at things like Google Trends, Wikipedia page views, mentions of like QAnon-related terms on Twitter and Facebook groups, Pretty much around March 13th to 16th, when the lockdowns kind of hit the United States, um, there was this massive explosion of interest in Q online that really hasn't subsided since the coronavirus started. To what do you attribute the, the change in the popularity of QAnon? Um, a, a lot of people are saying it's because of the pandemic and people are sitting at home and spending too much time on their computers. What do you make of that theory? I think that that does explain some parts of it pretty well. Internet traffic is, is way up. People are, are spending a lot of time on platforms where um, they can be exposed and, and led down different QAnon rabbit holes. People are more atomized than they've ever been because they're stuck in their homes and they feel alienated. But I also think, too, QAnon has a bunch of different appealing points to it, to a lot of different types of people that explain the current political moment for them really well. It also makes QAnon a very diverse crowd. I mean, you've got successful people, an African-American like Isaiah Washington, who has his own show on Fox, um, is a QAnon supporter, correct? Yeah. So that's that's one of the new scarier developments is that um, this was pretty isolated. First, it started with like an extreme online right. Then it sort of blossomed out through Facebook and, and YouTube to a sort of baby boomer set who are less tech literate and more prone to these things. But yeah, now you have people like Isaiah Washington. Um, even online, you can see that it's catching steam in all these different areas like wellness, anti-vax people are getting really into it. Hippie, new age people are getting are getting really into it. It's bringing in more and more people all to the fold every day. And that's really concerning. There are um, a number of not only organizations, but experts who study this very thing, conspiracy theories and extremism. 
um, you refer in your reporting to some of them, like uh, one uh, researcher at Concordia University who says that the membership in QAnon has gone from just over 200,000 members in March to almost a, a one and a half million as of last month. Um, but you also spoke with people who, who think this is being overblown. And I, I want to read back a quote from your reporting, uh, a political science professor at the University of Miami who says, quote, I'm reading headlines from reporters on the tech beat that well are well-intentioned, aren't tethered to reality. What is your response to this idea that, that this is just being blown out of proportion? I don't I don't want to like overstate the sort of anecdotal evidence that we can look to. Like I don't want to say that that overrides data, but like there's just so many things that are showing that QAnon is clearly having an uptick and even if that uptick is not that large and it is like pretty close to the polling results, it's still showing more that it has more and more power and more and more impact. They're getting elected to Congress in small numbers. They're going out and committing acts of violence. They're influencing political discourse. They're harassing people. Like, I, I talked to a lawmaker in California who is, is trying to introduce uh, pro-LGBTQ legislation. He got accused of being a pedophile. He was absolutely harassed. Like his, his family members are drug into the mix. I mean, you know, try telling him that it's just a small movement. Like it, this guy's life was like in tumult for days after this. And this is why you've said that we kind of need to separate the size of this group from the damage that it causes, right? Yeah, I, I think that both are important, but like the sort of real world impact that, that is happening more and more and more and the influence on not explicitly QAnon related spaces that QAnon followers are having, the potential impact that it could have on the Republican Party and conservatives is like something that people are going to have to deal with that shouldn't be underestimated at all. QAnon's jump from internet conspiracy theory to real-world threat happened quickly. Last year, a follower of the conspiracy shot and killed a New York mob boss on Staten Island. His defense? QAnon had led him to believe that his victim was part of the deep state. In May, the FBI labeled QAnon and conspiracies like it domestic terrorism threats. The fight against Q might become more complicated as QAnon supporters win political office. In August, a QAnon fan named Marjorie Taylor Greene became the Republican nominee for Georgia's 14th Congressional District. For Ali, the forces propelling Q's rise in popularity aren't new. But the way the theory spreads is. So I, I want to talk about some of the ways that social media platforms especially are beginning to clamp down. But before we do that, can can you put this in historical context for me? I know at one point you sort of compared it to the satanic panic of the 1980s. But since then, I have to imagine that any sort of fringe conspiracy theory group is different simply because of the tech involved. Is that accurate? It is. I, I do think that there are a lot of interesting parallels between this and the satanic panic. There there are different structures. Historically, though, they do resemble one another. They're these sort of fantastic claims about how children are being hurt that 
on their surface look like they're about saving children, but are actually guises for different types of politics. So one thing that was like really big in the satanic panic was conspiracies about children being harmed in daycare centers were being used to sort of fight back against gains that women and feminism were making at the time. Women were increasingly entering the workplace and daycare centers were a vehicle to help women who didn't have time for childcare during the day and, and new jobs. QAnon sort of resembles that and that when you do see QAnon get explicitly political, they are also targeting social gains. A lot of QAnon supporters really, truly believe in this sort of like evangelical notion of a nuclear family. When they, they speak out against politics, they speak out against people who champion LGBTQ beliefs, who, who champion these policies. But like you said, it's different in that this is a very online movement. A lot of people forget it, but the satanic panic was exacerbated by the media taking these claims credulously and sort of wholeheartedly buying into them at the time. And now I guess the internet has replaced the media as the sort of primary vector that people receive information about like what's going on in the world. One of the ways that tech has changed this is in the way that people get pulled into QAnon. I found it interesting that members of this group co-opt kind of safe hashtags, hashtags like save the children. How does this work? Yeah, they've they've sort of realized, parts of the movement have realized that just going up to someone and asking them to buy into a satanic cabal is like eating your children. And these people are also like liberal elite politicians is a pretty big ask to go right off the bat. But if you start with like a smaller ask, like... Um, you spread the hashtag save the children, but you tie that to your movement and and you get people in that way. And then instead of them actually going down the paths of real issues of human trafficking about and like real uh, issues of sexual abuse, you guide them down the path of QAnon instead. And that's how QAnon has been able to really find its footing at a moment where it was already increasing from coronavirus. Then they figured out this way in to the mainstream that a lot of people could buy into. This is difficult. And this brings us to the efforts to clamp down this hashtag co-option, because one of the things that Facebook has done and Facebook and Instagram, obviously, they go together is they've tried to restrict hashtags that are connected to QAnon. But (laughs) that hasn't stopped QAnon because they can just co-opt other hashtags. What are some of the efforts that Facebook and other places are, are pursuing right now? Yeah, Facebook just announced really recently that one that they did two really large takedowns. One was, I think, of the largest QAnon group on Facebook. It had something like 100,000 members in it. That was a one-off. And then last week, they went and updated that action and said that they were going to more broadly start to take down QAnon groups that sort of advocated for violence or talked about it in a celebratory manner. And so they brought down hundreds of groups in that case and, and other pages. And then they also said that they would stop introducing QAnon groups and pages into Facebook's recommendation algorithm so that people wouldn't be automatically served these things up as they were browsing, even if they weren't looking for it. I did want to understand this new Facebook policy because it sounds like <laughs> I, I don't fully understand it. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> I, I They say that people are allowed to post stuff as long as they don't violate policies. But they will, Facebook and Instagram will restrict their ability to organize. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you explain this to me? Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I can. Um, I'm not sure if Facebook can, to be honest. There's like all these rules that seem to contradict one another, and sort of gave Facebook just 
extreme plausible deniability to the point where anything could both violate and not violate these things at the same time. It's totally at Facebook's discretion. It always is, but these policies don't clear up anything or provide a particularly clear framework. It is important to note, though, I think anytime you talk about what companies are doing now, that it is just laughably late for them to be trying to address this at this moment. They've already created a massive hydra. When QAnon was originally posting, it was almost nothing. It was just like another anonymous poster that uh, kind of gained some notoriety, but the people didn't care about. But YouTubers made it a big deal. Um, A set of YouTube grifters started posting about it, and that blew it up. And then it went to Facebook, where a whole constellation of groups are created, because that's where most people are. They're on Facebook, they're on YouTube. It can't be understated how much these platforms contributed to its growth um, and how it's, it's just years too late at this point. Ali, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Ali Brayland is a reporter for Mother Jones. That's it for today's show. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I'm Celeste Headley. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. A new episode of What Next will be in your feed on Monday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.